What do you think about the most recent Supreme Court ruling? If you're not sure, listen to me. I'm going to share how it shapes DEI work from here on out and what it means for conversations about race. Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Raising Equity on YouTube. Hey, folks, I'm Dr. Kira Banks. Welcome to Raising Equity. In this edition of a diversity download, I'm going to talk about the latest Supreme Court ruling. Everyone's talking about it, but I want to offer my thoughts and I want to hear your thoughts about what this means moving forward. And one of the things I want to really start with is that this ruling really is going to shape and change and force diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives to shift. At colleges, yes, but I'm already getting calls from corporations, organizations saying, how does this impact us? That we assume that this will trickle down in some way. So we also need to think about how we talk about how we shape our initiatives. So the first thing I'll say is, yes, this ruling is going to force organizations, institutions to get more nuanced about their DI work, right? Because what it says is that you can't use race as a specific factor in terms of admissions, right? But, you know, yes, you, someone could talk about race in their essay. Um, Justice Sotomayor very plainly was saying, well, that's like putting lipstick on a pig, that the fact that the ruling, the majority ruling basically gutted affirmative action uh, and then says, oh, but you can write about it in your essay. You know, that actually doesn't help institutions think about race in a way that's holistic, that might move our, or, our country forward. And the second piece that's important here is this ruling really pushes you, me, us, to get clear and on the same page about where we're starting this conversation, right? Because you'll look at the majority opinion and you'll look at some of the think pieces related to the majority opinion and people will say, oh, this is a great day in America because merit is winning out, right? We aren't discriminating based on race because that is just not who we are as a country. I wish we had sound effects like, skirt. It's not who we are as a country, yet... It's who we have been as a country. And so Justice Sotomayor actually said, ignoring race will not equalize a society that is racially unequal, right? And so there's a larger philosophical argument that's happening that I think every one of us needs to be clear about where we stand, right? Do we talk about race and taking race into account as something that is discriminating on the basis of race? Or do we talk about it as something that means we're being honest and very clear about how we have shaped opportunities on the basis of race in our country, and we realize that we need to take it into account so that we can be a country that is more equitable in terms of access and outcomes? So this conversation has been ongoing. One of the Supreme Court justices in the 78 Bakke decision, Blackman, talked about we can't not take account of race until we take account of race. So he's basically saying the same thing that Sotomayor is saying, but what, 40 years ago? Um, he's arguing that we have been a country that has taken race into account in who we enslaved, who we gave access to property and the right to vote and so many things, who was allowed to accumulate wealth, right? And so if we say, oh, 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 now we, we, would, ne we would never discriminate against, uh, against someone because of race, that's not American. That's, that's false. It's just not true. And so you have to decide where are we starting the story? 
I was thinking about different examples of this and it's kind of like, I don't know if you ever got into a fight, it could be a sibling or it could be an, like, an actual fight and you're fighting with someone and someone's like really getting their licks in on you. Like you are getting pummeled and then you finally start fighting back and someone comes in the room and is like, no more fighting. We're not going to hit anymore. We're just going to be, everyone's going to be the same. We're going to treat everyone the same. And you're like, I'm literally over here injured. <laughs> how are we going to do, how are we going to be treated the same? Like you want us to, you know, whether it's like you have to then go do some physical activity and you're like, you've just been pummeled and you don't have the ability to do it, but that's because of what harm happened to you. But this person is saying, no, you got to step up and do your best, right? That you would probably cry foul. You'd be like, wait a minute, hold up. We can't say that we can each run the same race or do the same activity because I literally got beat, like literally was getting pummeled. But now you come in and say, oh, we're going to be treated the same, right? And so this is that ongoing conversation in our country in terms of looking at the, the, what I call the built landscape, how we set things up, the way that we do what we do. And if we're honest, if we're honest about that, there's all sorts of ways that we shape people's experiences on the basis of race. So this ruling that says, oh, you can't take it into consideration as a specific factor in college admissions is like a ruling that's an ideal, but not based in reality. I think it was Justice Jackson said, yes, deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life, right? And so she goes on to say that, um, that the majority opinion is detached, has detached itself from the country's actual past and present experiences and that no one benefits from ignorance. It's a pretty strong statement. And what she's pushing us to see is that, yes, this ruling that strikes and guts affirmative action at the college level is a legal ruling, but that the broader conversation, the larger conversation should be about the reality of our country, the ways in which we have shaped opportunity access on the basis of race. And if we want to live up to this ruling, that we've got some work to do. We've got some work to do. And so I want to be clear that, yes, this is going to push organizations to be more nuanced about how they understand how race impacts folks' experiences. And in some ways, that, need, that needs to happen, regardless of this ruling, that too often people are reductionistic and they say, oh, check the box, we have someone who's Black or Latinx or whatever group is underrepresented in their organization, and they stop there. So I do think in some ways there's, there's going to have to be more nuance about making a compelling argument of like why we're wanting different experiences, different backgrounds. But the unfortunate thing is that it's going to, it's going to have a chilling effect for how people think about race and use it in their understanding because people are going to be scared. Oh, gosh, I don't want to get sued. Right. So I do think it will have a chilling effect. But I, I do think it's also important for an organization to decide are they coming from the perspective of like, oh, we should not see race. We should minimize race because we don't want to discriminate on the basis of race. And that's not what we want to do as a country. Or are you going to understand the broader arc of the reality of our country and the fact that we have taken account of race in all sorts of ways? And so to say that we're not going to anymore is, is false because so this ruling gutted the use of race in, in college admissions, but it didn't gut the use of legacy admissions. And if we understand how race operates in this country and we understand who had access to the wealth to go to university and who had access to go in terms of race, right? So predominantly white folks, historically men, 
So they've had centuries, basically, to be able to go to the Harvards, the Ivies of our, of our country. And we still know that anywhere from 25 to 35% of, the admit, of those admitted to Ivies are admitted on a legacy basis. Now, there's some universities that have taken out legacy admission, but many of them, most of them still have it. So if we're saying that, oh, well, we're not going to take account of race, but the legacy admissions is almost a quarter or more of the class, and that is disproportionately going to be folks of a particular race, in this case, white folks, we've got to wrestle with that. And we have to acknowledge that we're not telling the full story. And so I actually would encourage folks to not get too caught up. I know we have to get somewhat caught up too caught up in the nitty gritty of this ruling because the need for affirmative action still exists in our country. And so affirmative action has always been an idea. The executive order that was put out was an idea that, uh, that we needed to take affirmative action given the fact that as a country we were in movement time of the 60s and we were super clear that we had shaped opportunities negatively on the basis of race and we needed to do something. We needed to take affirmative steps. And yet we still haven't figured out what those steps are. And so in some ways, today's ruling is simply an ongoing part of that conversation. But the other point I want to make is that in many ways, this backlash that we're seeing, right? So this gutting of affirmative action, the, the um, repeal of Roe v. Wade, like these major kind of setbacks are a part of our larger arc as a country of where we will make progress and then we'll see backlash. We move forward and then we retreat. And it's a back and forth. And so I want to just name that, not to minimize it, not to be complacent in it, but to remind myself that the work is to push for progress and to push for growth and understanding and nuance and expansion of opportunities and access as much as we can at any time that we can. And that I know that with that, will come backlash. And so I, I don't say that to, to say, and so it is. I say that for folks who are in this work to realize that the work continues. The work continues. It's been ongoing. While we have these movement times where we, you know, we call out the, the times of like certain years of the 60s or whenever, it's always working. It's always, it's always happening. Movements are always working. And so we need to make sure that, yes, we do our work to be able to help and support colleges and thinking about how they're going to take a race into account, but also the bigger work of making sure that people are educated and they understand the full story of our country and that there might be a majority. There is a majority now that's pushing a color evasive, color minimizing, some would say a colorblind approach to admissions and to our country to say, oh, to discriminate against uh, on the basis of race is un-American. We also know that it was the founding of our country was based on discriminating on the basis of race. Who was allowed to be a part of that vision was on the basis of race that lasted for hundreds of years and has shaped wealth, education, all sorts of opportunities. And so we understand that it's false to start the story in this moment where we don't have the legal chattel slavery in our country and we don't have legal, legal segregation in our country to suggest that we don't discriminate, discriminate on the basis of race. So in that way, I feel like it's our responsibility, those of us who understand that racism is alive in our country, 
that we continue to have conversations, to continue to talk to folks, even if they don't agree with affirmative action, even if they don't agree with us, right? Like I say us folks who are doing this work and understand clearly the need for taking race into consideration, we need to be in conversation. We need to be in dialogue. We need to listen to what sound bites they're, they're repeating, what misunderstandings they're having. I have found that many folks don't know how large the legacy admission portion of folks that are admitted to college exists and that they don't understand how that is a part of the conversation too and that that is a way in which we are privileging disproportionately folks who are white. And so to have that still going on and yet say that we're not going to take into consideration race for groups who've been historically marginalized in a way starts to make this conversation very individual and anecdotal. And so I encourage us to think about how do we have conversations that name the structural, the systemic? How do we make sure we tell the full arc of the story of our country? And so if you're in an organization, yes, you might feel like some pressure to shift how you do your mentoring or, or different initiatives in your organization, but to figure out how you stay the course and, and be willing to understand how race shapes people's experience in the organization, not just checking the box demographics, but find ways to understand those experiences, believe those lived experiences so that we can continue to make progress even amidst the backlash. So I encourage you, keep reading think pieces, keep reading about the ruling, gather your thoughts, your opinions, your questions, be in dialogue with folks that you agree with and that you don't agree with because this conversation isn't over. The spirit of affirmative action, being intentional, taking steps to make sure that we truly are a country where people have access and opportunity, that conversation continues. So I welcome your comments. I want to hear how you're continuing it. I want to hear your questions and follow me on social media. I'm Dr. Kira Banks across all platforms. Thanks for joining me on Raising Equity. Raising Equity.